Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Our podcasts are made possible in part by corporate sponsor, Store My Tumor. If you're interested in sponsoring any of our podcasts, please feel free to reach out. In upcoming events, we are so excited because in just a few weeks, we are going to be heading to Duluth, Minnesota, where breast cancer survivors and friends are going to be running the Grandma's Marathon 2019 in Duluth. Later this summer, we're also heading up to New Hampshire for a breast cancer survivors and friends retreat camping. Followed by August, we're going to be out in Portland, Oregon. So for all of my West Coasters out there, please feel free to get in touch because a Survivors and Friends event is going to be taking place in Portland in the second week of August. Check out website for details. In this episode, we are pleased to have Dr. Phillips join us today. She is a radiologist and she is answering all of my questions about what I need to know and about what our community needs to know about going in for a mammogram. Whether it's your first mammogram, a follow-up, you have a callback, etc. She goes in-depth in layman's terms and in super understandable like context what we need to know. Listen all the way to the end too because the conversation keeps getting better. She empowers us with the three questions we should be asking going into a mammogram and when talking to technicians and radiologists. And finally... Please let us know if you want all of the information all at once or spaced out over the weeks. Listen, comment, forward, share, let us know what you think. Welcome to the conversation. Nice to see you. I think that the most confusing part is this, is this question of mammography, tomosynthesis, ultrasound MRI. Yeah, and now contrast. And it, well, contrast yeah. we're, we're researching and, and my hope, our hope is that there are people that are studying it for women with dense breast tissue is that, is that maybe we can offer this as an alternative mm-hmm. for women who are at intermediate risk. We don't need to get an MRI and um, right. we, can, we can find more breast cancers that might otherwise not be seen. Mm-hmm. I am a breast radiologist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, and breast radiologists do all of the um, primary prevention imaging, right? So screening, breast cancer screening, which can include primarily includes mammography, and um, and some variation of mammography, which is this 3D mammography that a lot of people talk about, or tomosynthesis, they're kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And um, we also do other types of breast cancer screening, which includes ultrasound and breast MRI. And, um, and then we work on the diagnostic side of things. So when we see an abnormality on an imaging screening study, we then do whatever imaging is necessary to work that finding up, either to categorize the abnormality on imaging as normal and uh, we screwed up on the screening study you know that's fine you can go (laughs) home or um, there's actually something there and we need to work it up further we then go on and do the biopsies in order to diagnose breast cancer if it's present and then we are a part of any imaging evaluation for extent of disease some of us limit that imaging portion just to the breast and then um, if you do staging workup which include you know whole body 
if you do PET scan or bone scans, a lot of times those imaging modalities are taken care of by um, nuclear medicine or body imagers. Mm -hmm. Some breast imagers still do that. It just depends on where you work. Um, my primary interest, just to give you a little bit more background about me, which I didn't spend too much time talking about the other day, is something called contrast-enhanced mammography. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, we are doing it now more frequently at Beth Israel mm -hmm. Deaconess, and I love it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, my first mammogram I got was a contrast-enhanced mammogram. And so we are doing it both um, for in clinical practice, and we're also doing a lot of research on it. And so I think it's a really exciting contribution. You know, I think it's going to be a really exciting contribution to the field until we get even better and are able to both um, diagnose and treat by um, more, you know less invasive means or by getting you know by doing blood tests and whatnot. So is that an injection of a dye? Contrast enhanced mammography. Yeah, so what happens is, is that women come to the department, to the MAMO department, and when they come, we put an injection into their arm. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, an IV is placed in their arm, similar to what a patient might get for a CT study or for an MRI exam. Mm -hmm. And then through that IV line, we inject a contrast agent. And the contrast agent that we inject is the same material as what's used for CT studies, which, um, which is great because CT, CT scans are used so incredibly frequently and the material that contrast agent is used so frequently that the risk profile is pretty well known okay. and people tolerate it very well. So, um, so we inject this contrast agent and then right away women have a mammogram and the mammogram feels just like a regular mammogram which stinks. I wish I could say <laughs> it wasn't a mammogram but, um, but, but the rest of it is really the same. Mm -hmm. And so the only key difference is that IV line which you've I'm sure had as for a breast MRI. And so what's great about a contrast mammogram is that we get our standard mammogram images but then on top of that we also get information on enhancement, on contrast uptake. And this information is the same as what we get when doing breast MRI, but you don't need a breast MRI to do it. And so right then you go and you get a, your mammogram and you have all the information that you need. And it takes you know just a few minutes and you don't have to be in a tube and it doesn't cost over a thousand bucks. And the contrast agent is very well tolerated, so there are a lot of benefits yeah. to it. So it circumvents the issue of uh, breast density. Um, one of the benefits of it is that it gives us another way of finding cancer mm -hmm. separate from tissue density. Okay. A contrast mammogram, we still get those standard images. Mm -hmm. So we still get those regular mammogram images that have mm -hmm. varying tissue density, you know, that have dense, can show dense breast tissue. But we also get information on areas that take up contrast. And the reason why we care, and the way that breast MRI works and the way contrast enhanced mammography works, and some of these other imaging modalities that I won't talk about, like uh, PEM for the breast or some molecular uh, breast imaging is that typically cancers when they form they can recruit new blood they recruit new blood vessels and these blood vessels they form very quickly mm. and they're not they don't have the best integrity and so when you give a contrast agent because you have more blood vessels the contrast agent goes to that area and they leak out because those mm. blood vessels are kind of they're not great mm -hmm. so the contrast agent leaks into the cancer and so when you take a picture those areas that have increased contrast uptake will light up and you can see it really well. Mm -hmm. Whereas all that normal breast tissue, that dense breast tissue that's totally, has no breast cancer in it, you don't see. 
Okay. It mm -hmm. fades into the background. Mm. And so um, it's really a fantastic tool and um, you know, we're using it more frequently now for us. So that's my primary area of interest at the moment. Um, that's really and I, exciting. It's so exciting. Is it and still under study? It has been approved by the FDA okay. for use um, in the diagnostic setting. Okay. And so what that means is for women, have a, for women who have a new breast cancer diagnosis, and they're young, we'll say, um, a lot of times, especially at large academic centers or you live in an urban uh, environment, you live in an urban setting, we often recommend breast MRI in order to evaluate for disease extent, right? And mm -hmm. so the question for that when we do those breast MRIs is, is the cancer localized to one spot or is it involving a larger portion of, the, of that breast or does it involve some of the other, or is there cancer in the other breast, right? That's the goal of that mm -hmm. breast MRI. So um, contrast-enhanced mammography can be used to answer that question. And that's really great because there are a lot of women who don't have access to MRI. And it's, they're not getting the same high-quality care that you might get when you're in Boston, when you have access, when there's a right. hospital on every corner. Mm -hmm. And so it's primarily approved in the diagnostic setting. So there's a problem and we want to understand more about what's going on. This research is for this question that you brought up about dense breast tissue. What do we do about dense breast tissue? And does can contrast-enhanced mammography serve a role in that setting? Yeah, I've Is heard that, yeah. really great things about, um, I just recently heard about this contrast option for screenings um, for mammography. So I think this is wonderful and it's great to hear so that cool. your institution is embracing this and running with it. And I think that's, that's really great. One of the questions I think that comes up that I would love your, I'm not sure if there's like a standard across the U.S. or just anything, but as I'm talking to more survivors, um, I had to know, I had to kind of take myself back about how I got diagnosed um, with the breast center because I had a mammogram first and then I immediately had an ultrasound, then a biopsy. And I think while the biopsy was getting reviewed, that took a couple of weeks, I also was scheduled for an MRI. So that was kind of the progression of um, screenings that I had. And I was talking to some other women where they may not have, it could be an access issue where they did not have access to an MRI, but they didn't have an MRI as part of their screening process or diagnostic process. And in other cases, they would start with an ultrasound and not necessarily a mammogram. Can you speak to any, um, like, is there, like, why, maybe? Yes, okay. So, so the standard across the country from a, radiolo from a radiologist perspective, what we promote, I should say, is that women get screened with a mammogram starting at the age of 40, mm -hmm. okay. right? So we, there are varying recommendations based on which organization you look at, right? So there some organizations recommend starting at the age of 50, some recommend starting at the age of 45. Radiology recommends starting at the age of 40 with mm -hmm. mammography okay. for screening. If you are 30 to 40 years old, mm -hmm. we still recommend getting a mammogram. Um, typically, we're not imaging those patients as part of a screening study, but if a woman walks in to our department and says that she has she feels something. Oh, I feel this thing in, in my breast. I don't know what to make of it. Or I have pain in my breast. Or I'm having discharge coming out of my breast. Mm -hmm. 
um, that no longer is a screening study because there's a problem. So that's called a diagnostic exam. Okay. And when women are 30 to 40, we still start with a mammogram, okay? And then the ultrasound is used to supplement that. Women who are less than 30 years old who present with a symptom, because remember, we're not screening those women routinely, they come in with a lump, pain, or nipple discharge, we will start often enough with ultrasound mm -hmm. when you're less than okay. 30. So, so in terms of your, your entree into the breast center, if you have, if it's pure screening, then typically start, we start with mammogra uh, mammograms when you're over 40. Mm -hmm. And if you have a breast symptom of some kind, we start with ultrasound if you're less than 30, and we start with a mammogram if you're over, um, if you're over 30 years old. We are seeing a lot of survivors in their 20s now, which and, is shocking. And we are, we are seeing a lot of young women developing breast cancer also, yeah. and it's, it's shocking and it's sad um, we don't like to see that and so so we still will start with that ultrasound exam right. now many states because of this issue of breast tissue density which we can get into in a moment mm -hmm. in addition to their mammogram they will also get a supplemental screening ultrasound exam mm -hmm. and so if you hear of a friend of yours or somebody that you meet through the organization saying well I started with an ultrasound. I, I'm not exactly sure, but perhaps they had their screening ultrasound before their mammogram. You know, sure. I don't know what okay. the, but, but I don't know what the sequence was of how they had their screening study. But um, but most people who are at least over four, uh, at least over 30, will have a mammogram as part right. of their um, as part of their imaging. Yeah, that makes sense. Where do you stand with regards to breast self-examination? So um, many organizations, which you know, are not recommending breast self-exam. Mm -hmm. And women often will come in, though, not knowing that. And they will say, gosh, I haven't come in for my mammogram, and I'm not doing self-exams. And there's this guilt over not doing these things. And I have to tell them, don't, don't worry. Mm -hmm. um, we don't typically recommend them. And the reason why organizations don't recommend them is because of the stress and anxiety that can develop when you do a self-exam and you feel something and you're not sure if it's an actual thing or is this real, do I have breast cancer, and then you have all of this stress until you come in and you get evaluated and you have your mammogram and you have your ultrasound and it kind of launches this whole series of feelings and most of the time it turns out to be nothing. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of the rationale behind not recommending a breast self-exam. I am hard-pressed to tell anybody <laughs> not to know their bodies. Sure. Um, and yeah. so if somebody is routinely performing self-exams, I would never say to anybody, you should stop. Um, I think it's a really unfortunate thing. Women, it's, as, long as, as long as we educate people appropriately, I believe, most people that I speak to, when they understand what's happening, mm -hmm. I can help minimize some of the anxiety associated with what we call false positives. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. Right. And that way they can keep doing, they can keep knowing their bodies and examining themselves. And if they feel something, they just ask a question and it doesn't have to be, they don't have to go to that place of, oh my God, I feel something, I have breast cancer. It can just be, what is this? Um, so 
I'm not sure if that answers your question. It it's does. the formal answer, and yes, it's, and it's my we, answer. We, uh, and you may have followed some of that on uh, LinkedIn. We were working with uh, Dr. Paula Gord, radiologist out of uh, British Columbia, fighting the uh, Canadian Task Force guidelines, uh, which call for uh, mammograms at 50. And uh, so we joined the we joined the team to try to drive uh, petitions. We've got people up in Canada as well, so we wanted to make sure that everybody was was tied up. And and we had some terrific conversations with her. And, and one of the things that I asked was that that question about BSE. Uh, and she said, you know, uh, one of my best friends in the business was at a conference in London a year ago. She forgot her sponge that she showers with. So she soaked up by hand, and she found a lump, and she never would have found it. So I asked her, I said, what do you think about BSE? She said, I highly recommend it. And um, I found Laura's lump um, <clears throat> oh, well over a year prior to uh, the docs taking things serious. So in the meantime, uh, well, to interject there, because not that I was in denial, but because I was aware of my body and these exams, to me, it was something that has always been there. So to me, it wasn't something different. And so I never thought that it could have actually been breast cancer. It just, there was no family history, there was no... We didn't know about any family history, yeah. and, and her doctor, without doing a mammogram, said I suggested uh, that it was simply dense breast tissue, which as you know, you can't tell without a mammogram if you have dense breast tissue. Um, and 50% of younger ladies do have dense breast tissue. Um, but in the meantime, nothing happens. And uh, a year plus later, she's dimbling. And it's spread to her lymph nodes. And so um, from that perspective, uh, we're, uh, we're very pro-BSE and, and almost our whole community. But remember, our community has breast cancer. <laughs> so, well, and I think, so I think that, I think, um, what I said originally, I think I still believe, yeah. which is, which is, if you are somebody who knows, who is comfortable with that and mm -hmm. recognizes mm -hmm. that you might feel something and it's not a breast cancer, right. then I would never it. tell somebody not to do it. Right. The challenge is, is that while you're talking about somebody who here who who actually had breast cancer, mm -hmm. there are plenty of women. In fact, most women do not have breast cancer, and we are on the side when when yeah. um, in the radiology department. Where women come in who are absolutely petrified yes. every time they you know they palpate their own lump in their breast that, right. that something horrible is happening mm -hmm. and have come in and have talked to their lawyers about wills and to figure out how to deal with their children and mm -hmm. and people's people go to that place very quickly of course and so while I while I recognize and I appreciate that you felt you know that you had felt this thing and that you had identified it and so for you, it was great. This this challenge that women go through, I think, is a real is a real. Um, the anxiety that women have is real. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I would tell people not if I, I wouldn't tell somebody to yeah. stop doing it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I'm not sure that I would say. Advertise. Right. I, I'm not sure that I would advertise right. it mm -hmm. um, unless it's associated with better edu you know, better education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but so so for myself. I think it's, I would promote it mm -hmm. because I understand, you know, I'm, I'm more aware of it. Do you do breast uh, I do. Thanks. I do. <laughs> yeah. Once a month? Feel it on the first? Um, 
I do self exams after my um, menstrual cycle. Okay. Is that recommended? That's or typically, well, it's not recommended. Oh, sorry, it's right? not recommended. Breast exams right. are not recommended. Right. Okay. But, um, but you know, the breasts fluctuate. They, when women say, oh my God, my boobs, they're so sore, I'm mm -hmm. about to get my period, yeah. that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so women have normal variations in their breasts, their sensation, the lumps, all of these things mm -hmm. are very real. And in fact, we, it's so real, we see it. Mm -hmm. We see these differences mm -hmm. on breast MRI when we perform them. Right. And some institutions, will recommend getting a breast MRI at different periods of the menstrual cycle right. because right. of how the, the breasts look different. And, and so that's why I typically do it af afterwards yeah. when, the, when the hormones have dipped. Yeah, and you're asked that every time you go in for a mammogram. When was your last cycle? But of course now you don't have it. Oh, right. yeah, that's an easy one. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> uh, two years ago. Yeah, I guess that's the one benefit. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear more advice, because um, this is so great to have you, so I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing sure. your expertise. Um, since our audience also is are those women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, whether you want to talk about it at your specific institution or just in general, we're all about sharing education and how we can mitigate a lot of this anxiety and you know, a lot of times whether it's getting a call back or needing to come in for additional screenings. Can you kind of share what the traditional practice is if there's a need for additional yes. imaging yes and then does that happen right then and there yes. or okay so um, so the way that this normally works is every person we recommend that every person gets a mammogram and that's what a screening test is there's no problem today mm -hmm. you don't have pain you don't have a lump you're just walking around hanging out mm -hmm. right and and you get this screening test so that we can find breast cancer before you have breast, right. a lump, before you have dimpling, that's the goal of it. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we do that mammogram, we do two pictures of each breast. And when we look at it, what we're trying to do is see if we can find breast cancer. When we look at the mammogram, a lot of times we can't see the cancer itself. Better to explain with pictures obviously, right. but we can't, see the, we can't see the breast cancer itself. And so we're kind of using secondary signs, oh, could this be something, could that be something, to say, is there something hiding in this breast that could represent a breast cancer? Mm -hmm. And so any time there is a question when looking at a mammogram, if there could be a, a breast cancer hidden in the breast tissue, we ask our patients to come back to do extra pictures. And these pictures, when we ask patients to come back, when we ask women to come back, are more targeted to that specific area that we're unsure about. And a majority of time, a far majority of, of the time, it's really just normal breast tissue that we're seeing, just being compressed in a little bit of a different way. One, one technologist really compressed the crap out of you one year, and the next year they didn't compress you that much, and so the breast tissue on that mammogram looks different. Um, sometimes when you, when you get a mammogram, the images are performed at an angle, one of the images, and so the angles might vary from one year to the next. Mm -hmm. And so that can make the breast tissue look different on your mammogram. So a lot of times we see things on a screening mammogram that are just normal breast tissue, but because it looks different from the year before and because we can't be sure, we have women come back and we do extra pictures. Now, 
Our goal is to have women come back soon after their screening mam uh, mammogram because the not knowing is killer, right? I mean, mm -hmm. people do not like waiting for those pictures because as soon as we call somebody back, it just unleashes a whole slew of questions. Oh my God, what's going on? Right. You know, what could be happening? And the real challenge is that a lot of times when women get called back for these extra pictures, the person who's doing, who's making that phone call is, um, is our schedulers right. or it's our not man, the it's not the radiologist. And so, and so because they're not the physician who's, who, who knows how to, who understands what's going on with these mammograms, we, they are not trained often enough to, to say, they're really trained to not say anything. Right. Because it's not really their role Correct. to try to help mitigate, oh, you're somebody who should worry and you're somebody who shouldn't worry. That's, that's not right. their job. And so everybody who comes in is at the same point, which is, mm -hmm. it could be me. Right. And um, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. But I think you mentioned a lot of great um, tactics and in giving insight into what's happening on the radiology side that I think is really important for our listeners to know. And while this is a podcast and we don't have imaging um, or pictures to show, we can definitely pair this with um, one of our blog posts that we send out okay. so that there can also be like the imaging as well, where it's very obvious to kind of see what dense tissue looks like as it's showing up on the image being more white or cloudy and kind of harder to see through, et cetera. So we can definitely share okay. some of those images too. But yeah. just to reiterate what you were saying, because I think this is helpful for me to know also, okay, so you have these different technicians then that are taking pictures. So whatever your baseline was the year before, there could be a, num a number of factors then that are just different that play into why the pictures look different. And so it's just education. And it's not that the scheduler is calling to say, you have breast cancer, you have to come back. Because that was actually never said. We just said we want to come back and take more pictures. And so this is actually a very positive benefit that we should be grateful that we're getting called back because we're getting more care and more screening. That's a great way of looking at it. Um, I think that the way that we view the screening test is that every person gets the same four images mm -hmm. at that initial time point. And we don't want to do any extra pictures without feeling like there's a reason to it. Because we all know, right, there's radiation associated with imaging and, and there's mm -hmm. time. Nobody wants to hang out in our department for very long. <laughs> so, um, so we only really have women come back for those extra pictures when there's any question and a majority of time it ends up being nothing. And while some of those questions can be resolved at the time of that initial screening visit, many, um, many centers will only resolve them when, when women come back mm -hmm. at the time of those extra diagnostic pictures. Um, so most of the time it's not breast cancer. Now in terms of breast tissue density, um, I didn't get into that too much, but I can, mm -hmm. which is um, every woman in their breast has two different components, two key, two different key components. Um, one is breast fat, and no woman likes to hear that they have fat in their breast, but it's just part of us. So um, we all have breast fat, and we all have glandular tissue. And the glandular tissue is the part of our breast that, make, that produces milk when we're lactating. And even though we all have these two elements, we have them in different proportions. Some women have a lot of breast fat and very little glandular tissue, and some women have a lot of glandular tissue and very little breast fat. Glandular tissue, which like I said, is that part of the breast that makes milk, is white on a mammogram. And so if you happen to have a lot of glandular tissue, um, you have a lot of white stuff on your mammogram. 
And that's what we call um, being dense, which is really unfortunate in and of itself to say that. But, um, you know, so when we talk about having increased breast tissue density, what that means is that you have a lot of white glandular tissue on your mammogram. And the reason why we care about that is because cancer is also white. And so the white glandular tissue can actually hide, hide a breast cancer. Um, and so that's why we look for these signs that can be associated with breast cancer. And so what I tell a lot of women, for ex one, one thing that we look for, for example, is something called architectural distortion. Have you heard that word before? Architectural no. distortion. Yeah. So, um, so, so I'll use this as an example of what I mean, which is, um, you know how you cut, when you cut yourself mm -hmm. on your skin and you see yourself healing, you can see your skin pulling in, right? Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so the same thing happens can happen, I don't say, I wouldn't say it always happens, but the same thing can happen in your breast. So if a woman has breast cancer, what can happen is that that cancer can impact the tissue around it. And one of the ways that it does it is by pulling it in a little bit. And so if you have a dense breast or have a lot of glandular tissue and you also have cancer, we might not be able to see that white breast cancer, but what we can see is what that cancer is doing to mm. the breast tissue by pulling it in. So that's what we call architectural distortion. It's distorting the normal breast architecture. On and the so image. On the image. Okay. And, um, and so we look for this secondary sign. Mm. It's not the cancer itself, but it's what the cancer is doing to the surrounding breast tissue as a sign, could there be, breast could there be a breast cancer in this spot? Mm. This, for example, architectural distortion can happen not just with breast cancer, but you could, you know, bump yourself or have an accident, and you can also get this scarring, like I said, similar to when you cut yourself on your skin. So that is a reason for when women come back and we say, oh, there was a question of architectural distortion. We want to make sure there's not a breast cancer there. And then we do the imaging and we say, no, 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 there's nothing there. It was just your position differently, or there was some reason. Or we see it, but we can say, oh, no, we, I see um, you, know, you had a biopsy there you know, two right. decades ago, but we just didn't know that before. And yeah. so there is architectural distortion there, but it's from a totally reasonable thing that happened. Um, so that is what I mean by a secondary sign of breast cancer in a woman who has dense breast tissue, or really for anybody who has a screening mammogram. Right. Does that make sense? It's yeah, no, that's wonderful. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then when women come back, we do extra pictures to answer the question, is the finding that we're seeing at the time of the screening mammogram real and something we have to care about, or is it just nothing and it was just the day, right? The right. day that the person is imaged. And we answer that question. Um, every radiology, every breast imager does think, you know, we all do things, I, not necessarily every breast imager. Institutions do this a little bit differently in terms of the exact different picture that we acquire in order to answer these questions. Mm -hmm. um, but often enough, the extra pictures include mammograms and they include an ultrasound evaluation and that actually can be another scary point I think because depending on the institution where you go you might not know that you're supposed to get a mammogram and an ultrasound you get a mammogram and then you go into the ultrasound room and nobody's spoken to you between the two and you think why am I now going into the ultrasound room so um, but so not it's not uncommon to actually have both and that doesn't mean you have breast cancer it just means we're doing our due diligence to make sure that there's nothing more going on. Oh, I love that, doing the due diligence. That's gonna be the yeah. title. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it raises a great point because of all of the different screening te technology available, but from a cost perspective, say your, your contrast um, 
uh, enhanced mammography, what would be the delta in, in cost between just a standardized mammography versus uh, the contrast enhanced? So contrast is awesome, yeah. and I really love it, as mm -hmm. I mentioned to you earlier, but it's not approved yet for breast cancer screening. Right, okay. Oh, so, so I just have to say that. It's yeah. only approved for mm -hmm. diagnostic, but it is something that we are actively studying, and every person who knows contrast-enhanced mammo, their first question, who, who wants to promote it, the first question is, can we use it for women who have dense breasts? Um, because it just provides so much more information mm -hmm. at the same cost as a diagnostic exam. So currently, when we perform contrast-enhanced mammography in our clinical practice, mm -hmm. we bill it as a diagnostic mammogram plus the administration of a contrast agent, which is like $10. So it's, from our perspective, a very affordable option mm -hmm. for our patients. And likely the screening costs would be similar to what's currently okay. being done for uh, mammography. Could actually go to the extreme, right, where they're coming into your office and just, you know, demanding the world of all these screening tests when it's not actually required. So that's why I appreciate also hearing what the four images are, why people might be getting called back, and it could just be how the breast is positioned, and it's not alarming, which is fantastic. And that's a form of empowerment, too, that we need to let our community know that, yes, we want you to go in here and feel confident and know what questions to ask, but then at the same time, too, understanding the flip side of where the doctors are coming from. So, and I also think it's really important to understand what all these terms are. What is the diagnostic screening versus the, um, just like the annual checkup. What was just the, like a screening exam versus a okay. diagnostic okay. exam, right? So I went back for a screening exam and I was feeling empowered and I was really excited and I was like, oh, I just heard about this, you know, 3D mammography and the tomosynthesis and because I'm young and I received this letter that said I had dense tissue, plus I was a breast cancer survivor. Like, I feel like I'm high risk. Like. I should get like this amazing treatment with all of these screenings just to make sure it's not back. And they're like, oh no, yeah, this is just a, a, a screening and we're just gonna take four pictures and you're not high risk and you'll be fine. And I was like, well, that's great too because I'm glad I went from having breast cancer now to not being high risk now. And so not talking about any institution in particular, but just my own experience, feeling empowered and then all of a sudden telling, hearing that I'm not, high risk was like, oh, I lost my empowerment feeling because I didn't know what other follow-up questions I should be asking to make sure that I am taking the best care of myself. So I'm using this as like my personal example, but just in general, when we're trying to empower women about screenings and mammography, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on that. And then also when people use the term high risk, I know a lot of times that's associated either with a certain type of genetic mutation or very various things like what does high risk actually mean if that's okay possible so so the way that we define it the American uh, College of Radiology and Society of Breast Imaging so radiology defines um, high risk and and other groups as well is women who have a greater than 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer and that can be measured with multiple different risk calculators which are imperfect and women who are at high risk also are those who are genetic mutation carriers or who have first-degree relatives of uh, genetic mutation uh, carriers. And so, and also if you've had um, uh, radiation to your chest 
between the ages of 10 and 30. Okay. So, um, for example, if you have Hodgkin's, if you have lymphoma and you get chest radiation, so there is this group of people who kind of fill that category of being high risk. Mm. And that's fairly easy to define. The challenge really for many women are those who are not, who don't meet criteria for high risk, but who meet, who are at intermediate um, risk. And that's defined as 15 to 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer. And those women are, have a history of breast cancer, personal history of breast cancer. They have a history of um, atypical cell, you know, they've had a biopsy and the biopsy results were not cancer, they were atypical cells, for example, mm -hmm. or they were um, something called lobular carcinoma in situ. So there are these diagnoses that don't elevate your risk sufficiently to make you at high risk for breast cancer, but they kind of put you in this painful category of intermediate risk. And then everybody else is in average, the average risk. So for women who are at average risk, the ACR and the SBI, Society of Breast Imaging, we recommend that you start mammography at the age of 40 and you get a regular mammogram and that you get that mammogram every year. For women who have dense breast tissue, and by dense breast tissue I mean like I mentioned earlier where you have a lot of that glandu white glandular tissue on a mammogram that could hide a breast cancer. So for those women who have dense breast tissue, we can do additional imaging with tomosynthesis, which is 3D mammography. It's really not in addition, it's a replacement of. So we can do 3D imaging, and we can also do ultrasound. And the benefit of those imaging studies is that it helps us look through that glandular tissue to see if there's a breast cancer hiding within it. For women who are at average risk, uh, I'm sorry, intermediate risk, and you actually would fall in that intermediate risk category, you kind of say, well, what do I do? Um, I've had, I mean, it's scary. You've had a personal history of breast cancer, which is a really big deal. You were young at, at um, diagnosis, but you don't meet this like threshold for making it into the high risk group. Um, and the SBI and the ACR have just recommend, begun a recommendation that if you have dense breast tissue and if you were diagnosed and you have a personal history of breast cancer, that actually you should be screened more um, rigorously with consider a breast MRI. So in addition to a 3D mammography that you should be screened with um, breast MRI. That's not necessarily true for all people in that intermediate risk group but it is true for women who have a personal history of breast cancer and dense breast tissue. And certainly we consider it at our institution for women who are younger than a certain age at the time of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And that supplemental imaging with MR often happens at interval, intervals alternating with mammography. So like I said, everybody gets a mammo every year, right? That's our standard of care. Our best, our best research is based on that um, at least here in the United States, this is what we recommend every year. The MRI is in addition to that standard of care mammogram. And so often what we do is we'll do a mammogram and then six months later you would get a breast MRI and then six months later you would get a mammogram so that every year you're getting one mammogram and every year you're getting a breast MRI. This makes so much sense. I was talking to another woman who was like, oh yeah, I'm great. Like I'm getting screened every six months. This is great. Right. And then, you know, on the flip side, people are like, oh, should I be asking about it now, too? And so this makes, 
I'm glad it's being part of the guidelines now and being incorporated more. And I don't know that that's universal practice. This was something that um, the SBI just. I don't think it is from what we've seen. Well, and and to hear about it, and like that this is. um, The SBI has just put out, there's an article that they published in terms of changing guidelines. Not everybody has access to MRI. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly once you reach higher risk, then we universally recommend breast MRI alternating with mammography. But it's really for this intermediate group. And women who have a history of breast cancer, it's really tough because just because you've had breast cancer does not mean you're going to get it again. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it doesn't elevate your risk enough, right? But at the same time, it's scary. And if you were young at diagnosis and you have dense breast tissue, it's really the combination of risk factors together, the being young, the dense breast tissue, the history of breast cancer, that, um, that kind of elevates you enough to say, no, no, we should be doing more to make sure that you don't have a breast cancer kind of lurking somewhere and that we find it early. In your ideal world, if we had to give like our listeners the top three questions they should ask when they come in for a mammogram, like what would would, like rock your day? Like if you said someone came in for just whether it was a screening or follow up, you can choose the scenario. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, wow, this person really did their research or this person really, you know, gets it. I'm glad they're asking. Are there things that would be high on the list? I think that um, a good question is about what should I do to best get screen, you know, to best um, help myself terms of screening for breast cancer, which is kind of what you alluded to. What should Mm -hmm. I be getting? Um, And I say that because there are so many different recommendations that are out there. When to start, how frequently to get it. And it can be very confusing. And so I think it's very, it's really a good opportunity for women to come in. We are doing the imaging to say, what should I do? Why do you recommend screening with MAMO every year? And should I be getting any supplemental imaging? Is this, is mammography enough? So I think that is a good starting question. Probably relating to false positives. So false positives, you went through breast cancer and you know that whole, you know, the the stress of this whole process. But there are most of what we deal with are actually aspects that are not related to breast cancer. And I imagine that this is probably even worse for women who have undergone breast cancer and they're coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to really understand what does it mean when I get called back. What does it mean if you do a biopsy? Does this mean I have breast cancer again? Because it's not, it's not always true that somebody who has developed breast cancer has been through our system and understands all aspects of breast right. imaging before their diagnosis. And so I could easily see somebody being nervous that what we're doing means that they're going back down this road of breast cancer. And so I think that it's important to say, to ask those questions of, if you're doing extra pictures, if you're doing a biopsy, are you telling me that I have breast cancer again? And how often do you do this? And it doesn't turn out to be breast cancer. I think that understanding kind of what you're going through is a very reasonable um, question. And then, yeah. Let me stop you there for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to your first question, which is a, a fabulous question. Um, and as we know, not every hospital has all the equipment. 
and the further you get into the pucker brush, the less equipment they, the, the less technology they seem to have available to them. 37 states now mandate at least a, a, a presentation of you have dense breast tissue. So still there's another 13 that don't. Shouldn't they ask that question? Do I have dense breast tissue? Because I think that that's part of what I mean by okay. saying what, what is the appropriate getting. what okay. is the appropriate screening test okay. for me, and um, part of that answer part of my answer would be based on your age, your tissue density, yeah. answers to basic questions about family history, prior biopsies, prior <coughs> radiation therapy treatments, um, and so I think that that is a reasonable question to ask for me. What is the best what is the best screening uh, protocol to follow? Good. No, I, I, I like that. And I just, we, we joined forces with uh, Dr. Gordon to, to really, really promulgate that. We were working with Dense Breast Canada to really push that because um, the Canadian task force, they came out with their guidelines. Do you have a doctor on the task force? And so naturally, I get very upset about this kind of thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm not in the medical field, but the reason that I'm involved so wholeheartedly in survivingbreastcancer.org is that it astounds me that 12 to 13% of every woman in this country will be diagnosed with breast cancer. That's very alarming. And, and as we were discussing throughout the conversation, only 10% is genetically predisposed. So. What's that 90% coming from? That drives me nuts. Well, that's a whole separate question yeah. about what is contributing to the development of breast cancer in our population. In terms of screening, mm -hmm. that's part of the confusion around when to start mm -hmm. breast cancer screening. Because we are saying start at the age of 40, right? Mm -hmm. Dr. Gordon says start at the age of 40. That's right. what our society is yeah. recommending yeah. based on the data and our interpretation of the data. Mm -hmm. Other groups have interpreted the data in a different way. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is that, um, you know, if you risk stratify using the risk models that we currently have, or if you stratify by, by age, which is what the, mm -hmm. some of the other organizations want to do, right. you will miss diagnosing yes. thousands of women with breast cancer right. and um, and so I think that that's where that's why we as a group are recommending let's start at 40 mm -hmm. yes most women that we screen will not have breast cancer that we're identifying you know that we identify yeah. but there will be plenty of women that we do identify their breast cancers before they feel it and yes. we can help them right. and um, and so that's why that's probably the best question to ask, which okay. is, um, which is, what is the best protocol for me, right? What should I do? Because it's not that, true. That's really the title of the podcast. <laughs> uh, but I mean, and it's, but it's not, you know, and, it, and, and people talk about 3D mammography, for example. 3D is like all the rage, yeah. and it's really fantastic. Um, 3D is, is just a, a, a variant of conventional mammography where we take images over the breast and we are able to then create a picture, a set, of, a stack of images that we can kind of scroll through the breast and look through that glandular tissue. But it's really just a, a, a variant of conventional mammography. Mm -hmm. And so tomocytosis or 3D imaging is great, but it's not good for everybody and certainly we don't need it for everybody. Right. 
And that has to do with, um, primarily has to do with breast tissue density. Is this gonna help you? Mm -hmm. And so that's where that question again comes in. The radiologists really are very, I think, capable of answering those questions for women that come through. Mm -hmm. The answer of whether to do breast MRI, whether to do whole breast screening ultrasound, these are supplemental screening tools, does vary though based on where people live and what options they have. Breast MRI is 100% not universally available, whole breast screening ultrasound not universally available, and the bigger issue is that they're not covered by insurance universally. And so, you know, what really ends up happening is that we get very disparate care. Mm -hmm. Some women get a lot of really great imaging, mm -hmm. and some women really don't. Mm -hmm. And that is a real problem, which I think is evolving. And fortunately, the FDA is now, um, you know, putting forth that we tell all women about their breast tissue density, yeah. which is a really fantastic right. step in the right direction. About a month ago, right? yes. yeah. So my third stuff. question, what would I tell people to walk in and ask about? Um, I don't know. I have to That's think good. about this for a no moment. No worries. The, um, this, I, think that, I think that the most confusing part is this, is this question of mammography, tomosynthesis, ultrasound MRI. Yeah, now contrast. And well contrast yeah. we're we're researching and and my hope, our hope is that there are people that are studying it for women with dense breast tissue is that is that maybe we can offer this as an alternative mm -hmm. for women who are at intermediate risk. We don't need to get an MRI and um, right. we can we can find more breast cancers that might otherwise not be seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought you brought up a really great point. I was having conversations with other women in the breast cancer community, and because we've been diagnosed and we're banding together because we get it and we just need that type of support, it's easy for us to kind of become all-consuming, <coughs> excuse me, in thinking that everyone around us in our social circles now all have breast cancer. We got diagnosed under 40, so this is why we should do screenings earlier. And it was it was brought to my attention again saying, the percentage-wise is still pretty low that you were saying, you didn't actually say like a percentage or anything, but would we actually now change something to do breast screening at the age of 30 and above to the entire U.S. population, for example, versus, you know, those who have um, come in because of a problem and you're diagnosing them. So I think that's important for me to keep in mind because it's very easy to say, oh my gosh, everyone we're seeing on our social media accounts or how many women you talk to or I'm getting phone calls between, you know, six and nine just hearing and taking advice for or trying to be a, a sounding board for women who are who's even waiting to get back results. Um, it's very easy to kind of go down this hole of like everyone has it, like why aren't we all getting screened? But then I think it's great having conversations like this where you can say, no, actually I'm able to go to work most days and oh, yeah, you know, we're sure. doing you know, all these right. tests and screenings and you know, the majority of the time like, people are doing great right. or has these right. false positives or abnormalities that are not cancer. So I think that's important to remember. We do yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of images every year right. and um, we only see a handful. Right. Um, or less than that of, um, of women in their 20s and 30s. Right, and, and we go to these conferences where, where you it's see those just handful. those women. You got it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just survivors that <laughs> right. attend right. these conferences. And but so, I mean, in fact, though, most, if, if a lot of the women who come in in their 20s and 30s because they feel something mm -hmm. often will have a non-cancerous growth, cyst or, right. a cyst or a fibroadenoma. Mm -hmm. and, um, and even if I see something funky, 
on a mammogram or on an ultrasound, and I have seen funky things in young women, mm-hmm. even then, and we will always do a biopsy, but even then the pretest probability, meaning the likelihood that that is a cancer is still very low. Okay. And that doesn't mean it never happens, and you see those people that it happens to, but the likelihood is still very low for those people. Yeah. And, um, and I guess as a follow-up to that, the uh, when I, right when we were chatting with uh, uh, Dr. Gordon, Time Magazine's cover just came out and said the lus- levels of obesity are on the rise dramatically, uh. contributing grossly. Getting back to our weight and body mass <laughs> index. Yeah, we need yeah. to get like it a huge panel. Like. <laughs> to the rescue. <laughs> So one of the reasons why I love contrast mammography is because it streamlines care. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example how we're using it now. And, and this, there is a question associated to this anecdote. Mm-hmm. We had a person who had a question of this architectural distortion, right? A question of this mm-hmm. pulling in on her screening. Is it real? Is it not real? Right. It was seen actually on the 3D imaging. Mm-hmm. Okay, best appreciated. Not on 2D, best appreciated on 3D, which is cool, right? So the patient comes back. And we did a contrast mammogram instead of mammography and ultrasound, as I mentioned to you that we do standard earlier. So we did the contrast mammogram, and the mammogram portion confirmed that pulling in, and the contrast portion confirmed that there was abnormal uptake associated with that pulling in. So right away, we're now more worried about it. It's not a scar, because scars don't take up that contrast, or it's not nothing, because nothing, you know, normal breast tissue didn't take, wouldn't take it up that way. But we also saw multiple masses throughout the remaining aspect of both breasts Mm -hmm. that we would not have seen otherwise. So because we saw these areas at the time of her diagnostic workup, we did an ultrasound that same day. And then we saw multiple things and we said, we're going to do biopsies. We can right now. We can add you on. We can do a few biopsies. And um, now I'm telling you, there were multiple findings in both breasts, and they all looked worrisome for being breast cancer at the time. Obviously, I didn't know whether they would be, but they were concerning. And so she, of course, was she was young, and she came back for one thing and ended up being told there are multiple things. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up doing some biopsies. I think we did two, one in each side, okay? And um, maybe we even did three, but not more than three, certainly, because that would have been crazy. But we at least wanted to get a diagnosis so that we could start making headway. Now, my question for you is, is that too much too soon? So had we had not done the contrast mammogram, what would have happened? She had very dense breast tissue, right? I told you we only saw that one pulling in. So we would have done an ultrasound for that. We would have gotten a diagnosis of the pulling in. So Mm -hmm. she would have gotten a breast cancer diagnosis. Then we would have scheduled her for a breast MRI to see whether there was more cancer in her breast that we couldn't originally see, and that would have been scheduled over the next week or two. And then at the time of that follow-up breast MRI, if we, um, we would have seen these areas, the same as we did on the contrast mammogram, and she would have had to come back then again for a second look ultrasound mm-hmm. so that we could target those areas for biopsy. And then she would have had a biopsy. And by that time, depending on our workflow and scheduling and whatnot, it would have been another one to two weeks. So the benefit of the contrast mammogram is that we were able to give her a lot of information very early on. Yeah. The challenge with the contrast mammogram 
It was that she was a young woman who was healthy before she walked in the door mm -hmm. and went from being very healthy to having things that I was worried about being multi. I mean, she had a lot of breast cancer, not just one small area. And so psychologically, what is better? And my, my thought is that it really depends on the person walking in the door. Mm -hmm. And some women would be like, I just want to know now. It sucks, but like peel the bandaid yeah. off quickly. And some people, because you don't know any different, you know, wait, waiting and then you get the MR and then you have the mm -hmm. bad news happen at the time of the MRI. Right. It's still bad news. The information's the same. It's just, is there a benefit to that delay? We don't talk about it. It's always a bad thing, right? Delay is always bad, but is there a right. benefit? So, I'll let Laura answer it, but we highly recommend clinicians and doctors and, and navigators and practitioners talk to patients with those questions, especially clinicians. Um, and I'll let Laura answer, the, answer that question. It's a wonderful question. I, I definitely have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think, um, anecdotally, I have not studied, you know, the psychological effects yeah, yeah. of this. Um, I want to know your experience, yeah. Yes, I think there could be some risks in moving so quickly, because I hear that being like a pain point in the community, right? Like, it all happened so fast, it's a whirlwind. Like, yes, I was 28, yes, I was 34, yes, I was 42, yes, I was 65. Oh, and then next Monday they called me in, and it was like there's this combination of pretty much the last 20 podcasts I've been doing, I'm cutting to have this impact that everyone is saying the same thing, that it is a whirlwind, they didn't have time to wrap their head around it. I think it's a benefit to have the contrast and all of the information at once, because you don't know, also on the patient side, regardless of age, like how often do they have to take time off from work? Do they have to get sitters for the kids? Like there's so many external factors that I could imagine the patient would want to get as much information as possible when they had the time off to come see. It sounds like the whirlwind is less so about, okay, I just when I got diagnosed with breast cancer versus I now need surgery and I don't have enough time to make okay. choices around okay. the type of surgery that I need to have. Okay. I think that, does that make sense? It's less like I didn't have time to wrap my head around that I could be cancerous or something like that. Okay. But it was more of just getting the information about some of the treatment plans and options. Well, so, so I guess if that's the main concern, if, or what you're hearing, right. is that probably doing it sooner than is better. Because what we find is that we can't provide answers for treatment plans until we know the whole story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, so women will, and, and we don't universally do MRI, so I don't want to suggest everybody needs to get an MRI because we don't, the benefit right. is actually very questionable, the data on it is not is not really perfect for it. But in young women or in women who have certain mm -hmm. types of breast cancers, we do recommend MR. And so in that case, we wait until we do the MR. We wait until we get the results. Sure. Sometimes there are false positives, meaning we yep. see something on the MRI that's not breast cancer, yeah. sure. but we still need to go through the biopsy. And so, so that delays the final action plan, right? What the next right. steps are going to be. My experience, because I, I do have a number of women um, in fact, one of the things I like the most is to be able to be that person until they've connected right. mm -hmm. with their treatment team because a lot of times they don't have a person until they meet with their treatment team. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, so the main consistent aspect that I hear, which is obviously a very biased representation, is I just want to start. 
I just want to start doing something because all of this waiting is like killing me. So from my perspective, doing the contrast early and getting all that information was a good thing. But I I was very tuned. I mean, I felt it was very, I was very tuned in to the challenge of like, oh my God, I have just gone from a zero to a 1,000. And it was not just one thing. It was four things on each side separated from each other. I mean, it was a very, it was a lot. And yeah. um, and I, I just wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure. You know, I felt bad actually. I thought we're doing a good thing, but we're also my, my perhaps answer, hurting. My answer is absolutely. Let them deal with it. It's tough love, but you know what? There's an issue there. It's got to be addressed. Yeah. And you don't want to put this stuff off. It makes no sense to me to be kicking that can down the road. Cancer spreads. And you don't have the timetable as to when that metastasizes. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. Mm-hmm. It could be 10 years down the road. You don't know. What caused the cancer? You still don't know. And uh, But you know that there's cancer in there. Let them deal with it. It's tough love. And it is love, though. It's, it's, it's an expression of support for them. We really want to help. We've got some issues here. Let yeah. them deal with it. And that was my experience, to too. I, I yeah. Even though you knew I had cancer, I don't know yeah. if I was just in denial or, you know, I, I was like, well, let me just go and get a mammogram just to make sure it's not. Like, maybe there's just weird symptoms. Who knows? Um, but it, And I called my job saying I have an appointment at 8 o'clock. I'll be in by 9. Not a problem. And it literally went from, you know, let's do the mammogram to more pictures to an ultrasound to sitting in a room signing papers about a biopsy. And, like, I never knew that like my lung could collapse or like you know all of these things that you have to pretty much sign away and I remember talking to my doctor at the time so if I don't sign I won't get a biopsy and I won't know but I have to sign and this is my first time working with consent forms too right you're like little did I know how many signatures hospitals require moving through this process you know I I think it was helpful I was fortunate enough to call William and say you know this is more than just like a quick in and out do you mind coming they're squeezing me in during a lunchtime appointment um i think i'm gonna take the rest of the day off from work um but you manage it you deal with it and i think it's important to have a support system in place um you know like do they have a best friend they can call do they have a like a significant other or a parent that's around um just so yeah you feel that they have somebody okay yeah that's great thank you because we're still trying to figure out how to use it because you know more information is great but 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 it can be difficult. And of course, getting the answer for what the best. Mm. So you asked me about what what the systems and yes. the protocols commonly are. Well, how do you evaluate that? And how do you determine what is best emotionally for women? Because if you ask right now, you're like, I just want to know as soon as possible. Yeah. But you don't really know how you would have felt if that didn't happen, right? You don't mm-hmm. know what the alternate. So, so in order to study that, you have to actually create a study design where people are some women are getting it one way, and some, and so right. it's very hard to figure so out. We'll have a hard what, time with it, but let them decide. So, what do you guys think? Like, do you want all the information all at once? Is it better to have it spaced out? What do you guys think in terms of being part of a study, or what questions do you have? Please let us know because the information that you provide me is going directly to the sources. I'm your conduit. I am the person who's giving voice to everything that this community is all about. So please let me know. Additionally, if you have any questions about all of the content that we were talking about today, it was so impactful, right? Dr. Phillips was going in with 
all sorts of modalities in terms of 3D mammography, contrast mammography, screenings. I learned so much just by understanding that it's okay just to get four pictures and not to freak out if I get a call back. That was so helpful. What did you take away from this? I want to know. I want to pass it on. I would love to hear from you. Thank you, Dr. Phillips, for being part of this podcast. It was so informational. William and I could not thank you enough. The conversation could have gone on for hours more. I know there's going to be much more follow-up. So thank you again for joining us at Breast Cancer Conversations. And thank you everyone for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.